All right, everybody, welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I am Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. Here, as always, with Wes McAdams. Hi, Wes. Hey, brother. How are you? I am very well. How are you? Doing great. What are we studying today? Well, this topic came to mind as I was fighting with my child. I think I'm safe saying what I want to say about my kids yeah. uh, on the podcast because I'm pretty sure they usually don't listen to it. But um, So I was, I was struggling with my youngest to eat his supper, mm-hmm. and I thought, that reminds me of righteousness. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> I have really weird connecting thoughts. But um, no, I was, I was struggling, which is a nightly thing in our house, struggling with eating all of your food um, because some of them, you know, my youngest will not eat his supper but what's funny is he says i did eat it like i asked did you eat your supper and he will say yes i ate it Mm -hmm. and what he means by yes i ate it is i tried it or i ate some of it or a portion of it went into my mouth like that like his idea of i ate it and my idea of did you eat it are two totally different Mm. things and, and so there's always this discussion of, well, how much of it do I have to eat? And like, right. where's that line of, am I finished? Can I be done? When, when will you consider this to be done? Right. And so like, he wants me to look at his plate and say, here's the line. You have to eat this much before you can be done. And it really reminded me about our interactions with God and, mm-hmm. and how we think of God and, and what God thinks of us. And and it, it's interesting, isn't it, how we, how we play that game of have I eaten enough mm-hmm. to be considered done? Yeah. And, and as it pertains to righteousness... Like, that's an interesting word. What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be a just person? What does it mean to have kept the law, to live up to the expectations that you that God has set for you? And we always want to be sort of relative with that. Mm-hmm. And we want to say, well, relatively, I'm a righteous person. So I'm, I'm righteous because I've done most of the law, or right. I'm righteous because I've done some of the law, or I'm or righteous done because... more of, than others. <laughs> right, exactly, because I've done more than others. Yeah. We think about the Pharisee and the tax collector in Jesus' parable, and he considers himself righteous mm-hmm. because he's not like the tax collector, and right. because he's not like the Gentiles, and because he's not like all of these other people. And so because I'm not like them, I'm righteous. But the truth is, he's not He's yeah. not righteous, and it's it's the the tax collector who beats his breast and won't even look up to heaven, who says, "Have mercy on me, a sinner." That God or that Jesus says he is the one who goes away justified, made righteous. Mm-hmm. So he is justified or made righteous because of his dependency on God, because of his faith, because of his repentance, and so we recognize that from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, at least we should recognize this, that there is a righteousness that is by faith. Mm-hmm. And, and this is such an important topic and, and idea and discussion that so often we ignore on two accounts or we overlook on two accounts. One is our vertical relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And the second is our horizontal relationship with each other. That if, 
you're declared righteous by God, if you're mm-hmm. counted righteous by God, then I should treat you as my covenant brother. I right. should treat you as family, not as I would treat someone who is, you know, not my family. And and this is really what Paul is getting to in Romans. The whole book of Romans is about Jews and Gentiles and about them coming together within the covenant family of God and God saying, these are my righteous people. These are my saints. These are my sanctified ones. These are the ones that I declare you are right. You are keeping my covenant. And the Jews, they thought that they were considered righteous by God because they had the law and right. they kept the law and by <laughs> kept the law it's sort of like it's sort of like my son saying did you eat your supper and they my son says yes i ate my supper and what he means is some of my supper went into my mouth my <laughs> supper went into my mouth so yes i ate my supper yeah and and the jews would say i keep the law i'm a law keeper Right. Because they did, in a, in some respects, they, they were circumcised, they kept the Sabbath, they read the Torah, they uh, kept the Passover, they, they did these things that were sort of outward markers of being law keepers, and they would say, we're righteous, and, and here's our righteousness. You can see that we're circumcised, and we, we read, and we keep the, the Torah, we, uh, we keep the Sabbath, we keep the Passover. Here's all of these markers that we are God's righteous people. And not only does that affect how they think of their relationship with God, but also how they think of their relationship with the Gentiles. And, and they would say, well, of course, those people are not righteous. Mm-hmm. Those, those are unrighteous Gentiles. They are they are rebellious. They don't keep God's law. They don't know God's law. They're uncircumcised. They don't keep Sabbath. They don't keep Passover. They don't read the Torah. They are unrighteous. And then even as these Gentiles become followers of the Jewish Messiah, they're still uncircumcised. They're still not keeping the Sabbath. They're still not keeping Passover. And so these Jewish followers of Jesus are still considering their brothers and sisters in Christ to be unrighteous. And say so you're you're not part of the covenant family because you're not circumcised, you don't keep Sabbath, you don't keep Passover. And Paul comes in and says, "No, no, no. The law cannot be the basis of your righteousness." Mm-hmm. Because again, if my son says, "Did I eat my supper?" and I look at his plate and there's food on the plate, then the answer is no, you did not eat your supper. Right. And so for the Jews to say, am I righteous because I kept the law? And God says, according to the law, no, you're not righteous. You haven't kept the law. The law doesn't declare your righteousness. The law declares your guilt. So according to the law, you're guilty. You're not innocent. And so for anybody who hasn't eaten all their food, or rather for anybody who hasn't kept all of the law, what they need is God's declaration of their righteousness, Mm -hmm. is for God to count them righteous, for God to consider them righteous, for God to say, you haven't eaten all of your supper. I mean, you haven't haven't kept the entire law, but I declare you to be finished. You're done. You're righteous. And so Paul says that this righteousness is not based on the law. Mm. It's not based on circumcision or keeping the Sabbath or keeping the Passover or reading the Torah. This righteousness is based on faith in Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus, God declares you righteous. Mm. 
Okay, so we are we good so far? Any yeah. thoughts so far? Well, you know, to go back to the parent-child relationship, you made me think of, I don't remember a time where I was having trouble eating food. Um, You've always been pretty good. At I've always food. been pretty good uh, at eating my food. But I can remember like grades, right? Mm, so sure. like in my mind, I didn't actually take classes pass-fail, but in my mind, I very much did. Yeah. So if I got, you know, a C or a B, it was like, great. Right. <laughs> Right. I don't have to take that class right. again. They're, right, because I passed. They're, yeah, they're not going to make me take that class again. There yes. we go. Whereas in my parents' mind, it was like, you can do better than that. Right. You know, or, or we know you didn't, like, we, we, we know you, you call it quits on studying a little early on that, for that test. Or, and I, you made me think of, not necessarily specifically, and I don't remember a time as a kid where I was specifically, like I was consciously doing this, but I do think there's uh, there's a common understanding of parent-child relationships that kids test their parents. They sure. want to see where the line is. Sure. And it, you know, like you said about you know the the you know did you eat all your food? It, it does bring to mind our relationship with God, and you know, well, how much? How much? What's the minimum amount that I can do in order to be seen as good in God's eyes? And it's it's like you're, you know, it's, as we're talking about with the Pharisees, you're missing the point. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, there's nothing, there's no, I mean, I, I assume where we're headed is like, mm-hmm. there's no amount you mm-hmm. can do. Mm-hmm. And then it occurs to me, that's the point of the law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that yes, was, that's right. The, right. the law reveals, yeah. it's just like a test. Yeah. A, a test, unless you, unless it's, unless, unless you're, you're perfect. hundred percent, yeah. It reveals not necessarily your strengths, it reveals your weaknesses. Right. It tells you how many you missed. Yeah. And so that's what the law does, is it reveals their weakness. It reveals their sinfulness. It condemns their sinfulness, and it condemns them along with right. their sinfulness, which, of course, is why the law always made concession. It mm. always accounted for their sin and made provision for their sin so that they right. could be forgiven. But ultimately... That's what the law did. Ultimately, the law stood to condemn sin, Mm. (laughs) and it should have revealed their need for God's grace, God's mercy. And so what Paul is trying to get across to them is that even all the way back to Abraham, righteousness has always been on the basis of faith, not on the basis of perfect law-keeping. So let's look at Romans chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 13, and there's going to be people along the way that are like, what about James? What about James? So we'll get to James. I promise those that are asking that question, we'll get to James 2 after the break. But um, before the break, let's talk about Romans chapter 4. He says in verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, this actually was one of the first texts that really started me searching towards uh, the new heavens, new earth idea, Mm. the redemption of creation, because he says, Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the cosmos, Mm. of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Why? Because... Because nobody's kept the law. That's, right. that's been Paul's whole point from Romans 1 to Romans 3 yeah. and now into chapter 4 is that nobody has kept the law. There's nobody righteous. 
the Jews aren't righteous and the Gentiles aren't righteous. None of you are righteous according to the law. So if this promise that Abraham and his descendants are going to inherit the world, and we are, if that's on the basis of law, then then it's done. It's yeah. it's finished. Nobody gets it. Nobody gets this inheritance that was promised to Abraham. None of you are righteous, so none of you get the promises. It's kind of like the end of Willy Wonka, where everybody has has broken their promise. They've all disobeyed some of the rules, and so they're like, "That's it. Everybody's done. You you don't you get nothing." Right. And it's not until we realize that this this righteousness is a gift that God gives by grace. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I want to make this really clear, even before we really get into it, that it's not that God doesn't see you. God sees Jesus. I hear that a lot. I've heard that my whole life, that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. And, because we're baptized. Right, because yeah. I'm baptized into Christ, so when God looks right. at me, he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. Mm-hmm. Wrong. God sees me. Um, and and we say, well, how could God look at me? I'm, I'm so sinful and I, I'm broken. And it's because of this principle, that if we have faith, that God considers us to be righteous. We'll mm-hmm. keep going. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But it says, verse 15, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Paul says, if this was based on the law, that's bad news for all of you. Right. You Jews, you're kind of patting yourself on the back thinking, yes, it's based on the law, so I'm in and they're out. And Paul says, nope, if it's based on the law, then you're all out. The Gentiles are out and the Jews are out, but then it makes God's promise void because God promised that his descendants were going to inherit the world. Right. And he promised that Abraham was going to be the father of many nations and that if he's the father of many nations, then the many nations are his heirs. Mm -hmm. And if that's God's promise, and it's based on the law, and nobody's kept the law, then God's a liar and hasn't kept his promise. But God's not a liar, so it can't be based on the law. (laughs) So it has to be based on promise, and it has to be based on grace. So he says, uh, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, the Jews who are trying their best to keep the law, but ultimately failing, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Abraham is our father, our father Abraham, we're his heirs, his descendants, not because of our law keeping and not even because of our ethnicity, but because we share his faith. He says, as it's written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist in hope. He believed, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So your, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So Paul is saying, this, this is our father. This is our father Abraham, and we are his descendants if we share in this type of faith, that we are fully convinced 
God is able to do what he has promised. And God has promised that Abraham will have heirs and that he will be the father of many nations. And to Abraham and his descendants, God will give the world. God will give the cosmos. And and God made this promise. But if it's based on the law, we're all disqualified. The mm-hmm. Jews are disqualified and the Gentiles are obviously disqualified. We're all disqualified if it's based on the law of Moses. But it was never based on the law of Moses. It was based on a righteousness that is based on grace. God gives his grace and declares people righteous on the basis of faith. Verse 22, that is why his faith, Abraham's faith, was, quote, counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So I love the resurrection reference there too, because he says, essentially, Abraham believed in a God of resurrection because he looked at his own body and his own body was as good as dead. And Sarah's womb was barren. It was devoid of life. But he believed that God can bring life where no life exists, Mm. that God can bring dead things into life and bring non-existent things into existence. Abraham had that type of faith that said, if God promised it, it's going to happen. And God saw that faith, that faith, before there was ever a law. There was no law of Moses. The the, the law of Moses didn't exist. None of these things existed yet. I was just thinking But he had faith. And because he had faith, God says... You are righteous. You are a righteous man, not not because you obeyed the law of Moses. Moses would come a lot later, hundreds of years later. But you are righteous. I declare you righteous because of your faith. Not, I don't see you anymore, Abraham. Now I see Jesus who's standing in front of you. No, because God considers people who who have faith to be righteous. Mm. And, And Paul is making the argument that that declaration of righteousness based on faith wasn't just for Abraham. It was for all of us so that we would see that Paul is saying, if anybody was ever righteous, if David was righteous, if if Moses was righteous, if Joshua was righteous, if any of these people, if Daniel was righteous, if any of them were righteous, it wasn't a righteousness right. based on the law. It was a righteousness based on faith because a righteousness based on the law is non-existent. You're, you're disqualified on the basis of law, but on the basis of faith, you're qualified. And so that's the question God is asking. Do you believe? Do you believe that I can bring life where life does not exist? Do you believe that I can bring dead things back to life? Do you believe that I can bring into existence where things don't exist yet? You know, I keep thinking this, the term righteousness, um, I, it's it's hard for me to, even now as we're talking about mm-hmm. this to not think of it as, you know, um, j- perfect. You know, and not yeah. not making any mistakes. Yeah. You know, never, you know, never. You know, if I have a, a an evil desire, a sinful desire, I white knuckle it and it goes away, and mm-hmm. and I don't ever commit any wrong, and mm-hmm. I and I'm not ever impatient. I never have a bad moment. I mm-hmm. and then that like. You're crushed under the weight of that yeah. expectation. But essentially, that's what it is. Like, <laughs> it is that. It, it, right. it is perfection. And if you're seeking it through the law, right. then it will crush you. Yes. 
But yeah. this um, this amazing thing called grace, right. this righteousness that's based on grace, right. this righteousness that comes through faith, this type of righteousness says, God says, you're good. Right. I accept you. I, you. You are as perfect as you could possibly be because I give you the gift of counting you as righteous. And, and that's an amazing and, yeah. thing. And you're like, well, but I'm not. Right. Like, I'm not that. And God says, I say you are. Yeah. I say you are because I'm a God of grace. I'm a God of mercy. And for those who have faith, that's the question. So like, we, if we go back to the analogy of uh, taking a test or we yeah. go back to, you know, the question is for God, you know, my kid asks, am I finished? Am I am I done eating? Um, and and. I have some standard by which I'm going to say, yes, right. I consider you to be finished. I consider you to be done. My standard is always based on how much of this have you done. Mm-hmm. God's standard isn't how much of the law did you keep? Well, tell, show me how much of the law you kept. Did you circumcise? How many Sabbaths did you keep? How many Sabbaths did you break? That's never been the question. Right. How much of the law did you keep? The question has always been, do you have faith? Do you trust me? Mm-hmm. Have you given me your loyalty and your allegiance? It isn't, have you kept the law perfectly? Because the answer is no. And it isn't even, how much of the law have you kept? The question is, do you have faith? And for Paul's audience, that's a radical claim. Of course, for the Gentiles, it's like, whoa, that's good news. But for the the Jewish people, they feel like, this isn't good news. This means you're opening the gates to all these other people who right. haven't even tried to keep the law yet. Like, they, yeah. they, they've been doing, they've never kept a single Sabbath in their whole life, and I've been keeping the Sabbath my whole life. And God says, but you still broke the law. That's like one son who eats, you know, quite a bit of his food, and another son who just sat down at the table, and I suddenly say, hey, I just want to remind you, this has always been the case, but I'm just reminding you that I accept sitting down at the table as having had your supper. And the kid that ate a bunch of it's like, right. wait, and that's not fair. Right. And I said, but you didn't eat all of your yeah. supper either. Like you, you didn't eat all of it. You ate some of it, but you didn't eat all of it. So it still is on the basis of who I declare to be righteous, who yeah. I declare to be finished. And God says, I have always declared people to be righteous on the basis of faith. Now, does that mean the law was was dumb or unnecessary or bad or ridiculous? No. And Paul will go on to defend that over and over again throughout Romans and throughout his writings. It was good and it had its purpose. In Galatians, he says the purpose of the law was to bring people to faith in Christ, because that's always right. been the point, to and bring to, people to that. And doesn't he, he I'm, I'm massively paraphrasing, I know, but he also talks about kind of what we talked about earlier, the the law highlights sin that would otherwise be dormant and, dark, and in the dark. Yes, it, yeah. It puts it in the light. Right, it, it makes absolutely. it painfully obvious, if you're looking at it right, yes. it yes. makes it painfully obvious that you are deficient and you're sinful and you're right. before God. Right, and that's Romans 7, and we talked about that yeah. a few weeks ago with the, the, the flesh and the spirit, and, and that's what the law does. It right. brings sin out and it condemns it. If there's ever a question of how does God feel about sin, look at the cross. Like, that should answer how God feels about sin. Right. It, it is costly. And and we, we are brought out of sin's dominion and reign and rule 
by God's grace, because he declares us righteous by faith in Jesus, when we're buried with Jesus in baptism, we're united with him in this death like his, so that we can be resurrected in a resurrection like him. Again, all of that is about faith. It's right. putting our faith in God by being baptized into Jesus, and when we come up out of that water, we're no longer under sin's dominion. But of course, people would ask, well, Paul, you're saying we're saved by grace and we're saved when we put our faith in Jesus so we can just go on sinning, I guess. I guess we just go on sinning so that grace may abound. You're saying, you know, you sinned and God gave you grace. And the more you sinned, the more grace you got. So sin must be a good thing. Is that what you're saying, Paul? And Paul says, of course not. How can you go on living in sin when you've died to sin? That's part of our putting our faith in Jesus is saying, I'm done with that. I was held captive by sin and I don't want that anymore. I don't want to live under sin's rule and reign anymore. I want to live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. And that's putting our trust and faith in Jesus. And it's not about keeping the Sabbath. It's not about being circumcised. It's not about all of these things. It's about putting our faith in Jesus and believing that God has raised him from the dead and that he makes people righteous. He declares them to be righteous on the basis of that faith. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay. So at this point in the conversation, I'm sure there are people saying, wait a second, Wes, are you saying that we're justified by faith alone? Are you uh, yes. saying that we're that that, it, that we don't have to do anything? Are you mm-hmm. saying that works aren't a part of it? Because you know what James said. James says we're not justified by by faith alone. Now, wait, hold on just a second. We have to be really careful here. I think when we we contrast what Paul is saying and what James is saying as if they're saying two different things or that they offset each other or that we have to balance them out mm-hmm. as if there's faith on one hand and you got to have that, but you also have to have works and that it's this combination of faith and works that equals your salvation. I've heard people put it that way and we're we're teetering on heresy when we when we get to the point where we say, well, yes, it's faith, but it's also all of our good good works and obedience. Uh, We got to be really careful, really listen to what James is saying, because James isn't disagreeing with Paul at all. He's not adding to what Paul said. He's not taking away from what Paul said. In fact, I was just thinking in the last, uh, in the top of the discussion, we talked about how in Romans 6, Paul sort of hypothetically says, because he was accused of this all the time, of people saying, and I don't think anybody was literally saying, oh, yay, so we can go on sinning so the grace may abound. I think they were accusing Paul of saying that. They were saying, how dare you, you're you're implying, or this is going to lead to people living in sin. And Paul denied that emphatically. But I think what has happened with the audience to whom James is writing, I think there are people that aren't necessarily living in what we would call sin, but they're living in apathy. Mm -hmm. They're living a workless faith, and they're not doing anything as, as followers of Jesus. In fact, there are people that are hungry and cold and naked, and they're saying things like, be warmed and well fed, and they're just giving them useless words. 
And so James is writing to them, and he's addressing those who are are wanting to maintain this workless faith that is just hypothetical. And 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 so really James is saying the same thing in James 2 that Paul yeah. says in Romans chapter 6 that that's not how faith works. No. That faith can't be workless. It it can't if if faith is workless, it's worthless. That's, that could go on a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if faith is workless, then it's worthless. Right. So, so here's what James says uh, in James chapter two and verse eighteen. Someone will say, "You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith." He says, "Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." Mm. He's going to go through this entire passage to say you can't show your faith right. without works. There's no way that even Abraham, that we would know that Abraham had faith if he didn't do something. Right. And so you people that think that your faith is real, even though it's not manifesting itself in work and doing things, right. you're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. In fact, that's one of the major themes of the book of James is people that are self-deceived. People who say, oh yes, I have faith and I have love and I have wisdom. And they want to be teachers and philosophers and they want to put on airs about who they are and, and how good they are. And James says, nonsense, show me. Show me your love. Show me your wisdom. Show me your faith. And if you can't show it to me, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons <laughs> believe and shudder. Yeah. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So he's saying it's useless to have faith that doesn't have works. Again, he's not saying faith plus works equals salvation. That's not what he's saying. Mm -hmm. He's saying faith minus works is not really faith. That a faith that is is devoid of work is not really faith. And a faith like that, a faith that is is devoid of work, a faith that is devoid of obedience is not faith. It's useless. It's worthless. When Paul was yeah. preaching, you're part of the covenant family of God based on your faith in Jesus, James would have said, amen, amen, amen. I have nothing to add to that. I have nothing to take from that. But when years later, you have people that are sitting around saying, I'm, I'm perfectly fine, not doing anything I, because I have faith. James says, nonsense. That's not really faith right. because a faith that is devoid of work is useless. Yeah. A, a workless faith is a worthless faith. Well, we're talking about our religion, you know, being Christians. Yes. It's like when you really think about faith and works somehow being separate, yes. or one being greater than the other. It's yeah. like, it, it makes no sense. It's like the, if you're doing works, Christian works with no faith, right. you're just sort of going through the motions yeah. because maybe it's in your family. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, it's part of your... You know, it's part of your heritage, so yeah. you still keep it up, or for whatever other reason. That, that's it's ridiculous. It's yeah. you know, you're living. You know, uh, there's not other places. Paul would say we're to be pitied above everybody if 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 you don't have faith, right? In the you, resurrection, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Then that, it means nothing. And then on the other hand, the faith you're talking about when you talk about, you know, that that's what that's what saves you. That's what that's how that's the extent of your Christianity is just have faith, have faith, have faith. It's like, well, that's that's all you're doing. That's a, akin to just closing your eyes and just believing hard enough. And yeah, that means I'm saved. It's yeah. like, either way, you're taking it on yourself. Yep. Either, 
but the, the it seems to me that the kind of faith James is talking about and that Paul is talking about for that matter is your faith in God is he's he's great he's going to make you righteous to go back to what yes. we were talking yes. about dependency and so what does that make you want to do yeah. I mean we this this keeps coming up yep. with us that 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 when you really if you really want to get to the root problem yes of why do we struggle why do we struggle to be good Christians and be, become more like Christ it's you know, you, you're not trusting God enough. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And and that's, this is, that I, I totally agree. James and Paul would have both agreed oh, yeah. that that when you trust in God, when your faith is real and genuine, yeah. then you can see it. And God looks at that genuine faith and says, you are righteous. Yeah. Not because you sit around and you have good thoughts in your head or because you say nice things with your mouth, right. but because you have a genuine faith. How do you know you have a genuine faith? Because you're actually doing the, the, same, the right. things that you say you believe. Um, he says in verse 21, was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Now, again, he, he's not saying that Abraham, he's not like contradicting Paul. It, it sounds like it when you just read it out of context or you read Romans 4 out of context and you compare those two things that both James and Paul say about Abraham. But right. he's saying that that Abraham's faith was evident that it's verified because of what he did, because God said, take your son Isaac and sacrifice him. So Abraham's faith became manifest. Mm -hmm. It became evident when he did what God told him to do. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Abraham's faith was completed. It was shown to be true and genuine through his works. And again, the same thing, Paul is saying the exact same thing throughout his letters, yeah. that, that this is what counts, is faith. And this is how you count faith. This is how you see faith, is through the things that we do. And so everything that Paul would say from chapters 12 on in Romans about offering your body as a living sacrifice to God, yeah. being transformed, the renewal of our mind, all of the things that he would go on to say about loving our enemies and loving the church and, and doing these good things, all of that is based on the foundation of faith, that if you have faith, this is what it looks like to have faith in King Jesus. It's not going to look like a meticulous keeping of the law of Moses, like putting your faith in your circumcision or your Sabbath keeping or your Passover keeping or your eating of kosher foods and your wearing of you know Jewish clothing, like he would say, no, <laughs> that's not it. It's faith in Jesus. And here's what it looks like to have faith in Jesus. Ephesians 5, he, start, he talks about in, in chapters 4 and 5, talks about putting on this new self. You're a new human because of what Jesus has done. And then he walks through and in the end of chapter five, beginning of chapter six of Ephesians, talking about this is what it looks like in your house when you're a follower of Jesus. Here's what it looks like to be a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or even a servant. If you're a follower of Jesus, it changes everything. So James is writing to people who apparently were saying, it changes nothing except what I believe in my head and what I say with my mouth. Mm. And James is like, no, if it doesn't change what you're doing with your hands and with your feet, if it doesn't yeah. change how you're living, then then it's not real faith. It's a useless, worthless faith, faith because it's a workless faith. And so he says, even Abraham, 
you you want to use Abraham as an example. We all want to use Abraham as an example and say we're children of Abraham. Well, don't say you're children of Abraham if you don't do what you need to do, because Abraham did what he was told to do, including sacrificing the son that was the son of promise. Now, why did he do that? Because he believed that God could bring him back from the dead, because Abraham had faith. And that's what it all comes down to, is faith. And James is simply explaining, what does living, genuine faith look like? And it looks like a faith that works. Do you think we struggle with this so much because I keep thinking about this? And I know I know there's been an element of this in my life where part of the struggle I have with my faith is and it's I mean, and there's maybe a little bit of narcissism even wrapped up in something like this when you think, well, because of my sin, God's not gonna forgive me. Mm-hmm. So right there, you you've already lost my faith. You've already mm-hmm. lost my trust in the fact that he will he does the justifying Mm -hmm. yeah and and so because what happens when you think that way right is when when you think well my sin's just too great even if you're trying to do things better and you're trying to clean up your act Mm -hmm. you're trying to you know not get as impatient you're trying to not sin as much you're still you're sort of you know beating yourself up you're being you know self-flagellating and and that because I think that feels good, yeah. like on some level, on a yep. weird level, that feels good. Punishment yep. fits the crime. Yep. Now I deserve this. I deserve the, I yep. deserve the beating up. I deserve. And I think what, you know, to go back to where we started talking about, the law highlights that no matter where you're at on that spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, you're deficient. You're mm-hmm. not living up to the law, mm-hmm. and which is why I think you know you look at the people Jesus hung out with on earth, the people he loved hanging out with, were often the sinners, the people who, who knew good and well yep. they were deficient yep. and they were, they were the outcasts, they, yep. they, and, they, and they deserved that. And, and the people that, he sh- that, that struggled with Jesus' message were the people that felt like, no, we're doing fine. Yep. We're keeping the law. Yep. Why, are you, why are you coming and stepping on our toes? Mm-hmm. And it, it's like, but then, it, you know, you, you can still make the same mistake, I think, if you and I'm sure many people did, even in light of Jesus's message of salvation, saying, "No, I will justify you. Mm-hmm. You, you just have you, you have faith in me, and I'll do the rest." Mm-hmm. You can imagine people struggling back then, as as we still do now, thinking, "But I still have to beat myself up. Yeah. I still have to, yeah. you know, take the whole burden of my sin, yeah, or at least part of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah like God's going to get me, like Jesus is going to get me like 90% or right. 50% or 60%, but there's like, what percentage do I have to make up? And, and again, yeah. back to the food analogy, like, yeah. you know, how much of it do, and it's like, nope. What do you mean by finished, by complete, yeah. by, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's a, it's a radical idea. It is. That says, yeah. I trust that Jesus has finished this course, that Jesus and his righteousness, his covenant keeping, that 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 act of mercy and grace and me trusting in that 
and being united with him that I really am so deeply and intimately connected to him and with him that when God looks at me, yes, he knows all of the bad things that I've done, but he forgives me of all of those things. He wipes my slate clean and he declares me to be righteous because that's the kind of God he is. And you're right. There's a part of us that says, well, that doesn't seem fair. And, and well, I, surely I have to make up something of the difference and, and, and surely I, I have to do something. Right. And he says, no, 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 listen, that's the one way you can mess this thing up. Yeah. Like Galatians, that's what the whole book is about because they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I like that Jesus is Messiah. Jesus died for our sins. He's the atoning sacrifice. Yeah, 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 cool, got all that. But, you know, I still have to keep the law in right. order for me to be justified. And Paul's like, that's how you fall from grace. Mm. That's how you fall from grace is because you're not relying on grace. You're not trusting in his grace that it's a gift. This covenant membership, this this membership within his family is something God gives. It's not, you can't earn it. You cannot earn a place at God's table. And he gives you a seat at his table because that's the kind of God he is. And we have to accept that we're not the only one at the table. And and even if we can wrap our mind around this vertically, wrapping our mind around it horizontally oh, yeah. is another problem in and of itself because we say, okay, yeah, okay, God, I, I believe you. you. You you saved me. You forgave me. Fantastic. Wonderful. I believe you. I have fully embraced that I'm part of your covenant family because you're a gracious God, but surely not that guy. Right. Like, surely you don't give that same kind of mercy and grace to that guy. Yeah. It's step, and, and in steps Jonah, right? So this is what the story of Jonah uh, is yeah. all about. Yep. It's all about somebody who says, yeah, I love the fact that you're gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So long as that grace and mercy is for me, but the moment you try to give that to Ninevites, right. to Assyrians, are you kidding me? I'd rather be dead than allow them to receive the same kind of grace and mercy and love that I get. Mm. And so here's where we struggle is to say, wait a second, you as passionate and as as zealous as you are to save me, right. you are equally as zealous and passionate about saving my enemies, mm-hmm. my neighbors, the people that I can't seem to get along with. And and when we, we, we try to work things out, even within one single congregation, like yeah. even within the family of God, and we can't, I just can't seem to forgive them. And that, they just messed up too much. I, 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 I can't get past that. It's like, whoa, hold on. That That's how you mess this thing up. That's yeah. how we mess this thing up. Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's kind of a dare to ourselves. <laughs> I, <when> I, exactly. <laughs> I, I was I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer a while back, and I was thinking that's that one kind of sticks out as like, that's a challenge for me mm-hmm. to say, God, you know, I hope you forgive me, but I also hope I forgive other people yes. as you would have me to. That's, yes. that's, that's yeah. quite the... We're being trained. Jesus yeah. is training us to think about forgiveness in those terms, to yeah. think about forgiveness in terms of both the horizontal or the vertical, our forgiveness from God, but also our forgiveness to one another and extending the same kind of grace and mercy to others that we want God to extend to us. So we, we start and we say, okay, I, I trust and believe that God is going to forgive me. But in that faith, in that trust, based on the fact that 
I'm just believing that yeah. God is giving me that forgiveness. I'm going to go ahead and extend it to you in very real and tangible ways right now in trust that God is going to give it to me so yeah. that when I pray, I can pray, forgive me as I've already gone ahead and forgiven them. Not, we'll wait till the end and see how it all shakes out. And God, if if indeed I'm sitting at your table, then I guess at that time I will extend forgiveness to yeah. my brother. Like that's not the way it works. Yeah. Right now in faith, we begin to live all this out. It's everything we always talk about, the already and the not yet. Yeah. That we believe that we are already seated at God's table even though we can't see it yet. That's what faith is. Yeah. It's the assurance and the conviction of things we hope for and things we don't see yet. And we yeah. believe that through Jesus, we are already sitting at the table and we are just as righteous as Daniel and Joseph and David and Abraham and Moses. And we are sitting at the same table they are sitting at, even though we're Gentile sinners, even though we're we are all of the things that so many people throughout biblical history hated. We are all of those things wrapped up in our bodies and in ourselves and the things we've done. And in spite of all of that, because of Jesus, we have a full-fledged membership and seat at God's table. And because we believe that's true, even though it hasn't become manifest yet and we can't see it yet, just because we believe it's true, we're going to go ahead and treat other people mm -hmm. with that same kind of mercy and grace. And all those who are also seated at the table, we're going to treat them as if they're seated at the table. And all yeah. those who aren't yet, we're going to treat them as if they should be. <laughs> yeah. And wow, that's, that's hard, that's but a, that's faith. That's yeah. what faith looks like. And that's what James is saying. It, he is. Yeah. It has to, it has to be shown. Yeah. And, and he says in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He He's not saying you're, it's not just faith. It's, you got to have faith and... No, no, no. He's right. saying you're not saved by workless faith. Yeah. You're not saved by lonely faith, alone faith. <laughs> it's alone is modifying the word faith. Right. What kind of faith are you not justified by? Alone faith. Faith that is alone, faith that is workless. Workless faith is worthless faith. That kind of faith, as if it's faith at all, and you could almost put it in, in scare quotes, in air quotes, and say faith, so-called faith, yeah. so-called faith that's alone, so-called faith that's worth workless, that, like the kind of faith that demons have. That's not, right. that's not faith. That's a scary verse. Right. That, that, that's not faith because yeah. there's no work there. There's no obedience there. There's no submission there. There's no loyalty there. So that's not even really faith. It's a workless faith. It's an alone faith. And if that's your type of faith, yeah. then that type of faith doesn't save you. And and it, it everything we're talking about, this is what it looks like to live in faith. It's to forgive each other, to love each other, to be merciful and gracious to each other because we really truly believe that we have this reconciled relationship with God. Man, so many, so many thoughts about this. I was thinking about this idea of the horizontal aspect of our faith. I, I love putting it in those terms because it, it, like you said, it does highlight what James is saying here that mm -hmm. it's it's not faith or works and it's not even faith plus works it's yeah. they they're wrapped up in each other yes and and you know it takes a lot of faith to treat people well mm -hmm. because what if they don't what if they don't deserve it mm -hmm. they probably don't mm -hmm. just right. like you don't deserve that's, the vertical that's exactly right. yeah that's and then, exactly right. um but what and what if they take advantage of you and what mm -hmm. if they it's like yeah they probably they, yeah, they, they, they might yeah absolutely <laughs> and 
And then I was also thinking about on that horizontal level of how we treat each other. I know uh, one of the guys I follow, he to help people understand like how you treat people is like, you know, think about how you treat yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, well, you're an individual. It's like, but you're not really because you're who you are today and then you're somebody tomorrow. And mm-hmm. if you don't know that, you know, if you don't know that those are two different people, it's mm-hmm. like, well, hangovers exist, yeah. right? Things like you can do something today mm-hmm. uh, and do a variety of things today that don't feel too good tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Working out is like that bad example. But, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, the person you're going to be a year from now, the person you are 10 yeah. years from now, it's yeah. not, it's not, uh, this guy talks about how it's not super obvious that that's, you know, that's any different from taking care of somebody else, hmm. treating somebody else mm-hmm. with, I'm going to treat myself in the future with kindness mm-hmm. by yeah. prepping now. Yeah. It's not that different. Right. Saving money yeah. is is preparing to give right. to someone else because right. it's not today's self, it's tomorrow's self. That's right. Yeah. So I, 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 like, I like thinking about it in those terms because it, 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 it does two things. It A, highlights like, man, I could be taking care of other people better and I could be taking care of myself better. Mm-hmm. You know, by thinking about it in in that way, and again having the faith, because I think maybe maybe sometimes the reasons we don't treat ourselves better is because we don't have the faith that you know we're, maybe we're going to be around mm-hmm. or that you know it, it, it does seem to come back to the faith problem at mm-hmm. the end of the day with with everything that we do and don't do. Yeah, faith is inevitably wrapped up in it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two more verses, and yeah. then we'll we'll wrap up. He says in verse 25, And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And again, what a great example, because Rahab is not only a Gentile, but she's a Gentile prostitute. And she was justified by faith, yes, but what kind of faith? A faith that worked. It wasn't a workless faith. It wasn't a worthless faith. It was a faith that worked. It was a faith that had works. And because of her working faith, she was justified. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That is the perfect metaphor. Of course, Mm -hmm. it is carried along by the Holy Spirit, little brother of Jesus, giving us this perfect example of what faith and works, how we should think of those, that it's the body and the spirit. Like, that, that's not two distinct things. That's not two apart things. That's two things that are part of one whole. Right. These are these are part of one succinct whole person. And if you take one away from the other, it's dead. And so a spiritless body is a dead body. It's not a living body. So you can't say, well, this, I mean, it's like weekend at Bernie's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, here's my friend Bernie. Right. Well, that's not your friend Bernie. You're faking it because your friend Bernie is dead. It is a spiritless body and a spiritless body is a dead body. So don't go around saying, oh, I have faith. You know, you, you don't have faith. That's not living, real, active faith. That's not justifying faith because your faith is workless. It's spiritless. It is not living faith. Living faith is active, just like a, a, a living body is active. Yeah. A body that's lying there, say, well, that's my, my friend Bob. He hasn't moved in about three years, but that's my friend Bob. No, it's that's not Bob. Bob right. is dead, and, and your faith is... If it's not doing anything, it's just theoretical, mm-hmm. it's just in your head, 
It's not faith. It's not living faith. It's not the type of faith that Abraham had. It's not the type of faith that Rahab had. These people had a faith that worked. And it's only through an active, living, working faith that you can say, see, there's my faith. And yes, we are justified by faith. Yes, we are justified on the basis of faith. Yes, and yes, and amen, and amen. But not a faith that is separate and apart from works. Not a faith that doesn't work. A workless faith is a worthless faith. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.